Hi, this is Evan Dunn, and you're listening to Frequency. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Frequency Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Thompson, with my co-host, Joe Brookhouse from Portland, Oregon. How are you, Joe? I'm doing good, and uh, just for the sake of uh, full transparency, I'm actually not in Portland, Oregon. I'm in a place called Aberdeen, Washington, probably most famously known for being the hometown of Kurt Cobain. So it's been a while since we uh, recorded anything. You want to you want to explain where you've been? I've been waiting for you. <laughs> yeah, well, it has been a busy time. Uh, I mean, people, if they've been listening in, know that we've uh, I've moved across the country, uh, literally two thousand kilometers away. And uh, you know, as we've started to get the podcast going, in the midst of that, um, it has been trying to nail down a time because. Uh, my schedule is a lot different now and I'm doing a lot of different things and trips and, um, you know, my hours are a lot different. I used to go, you know, have a, you know, a, a nine to five quote unquote type of a job to having a 24 seven kind of, you know, you take it when you get it, uh, job in ministry, which is great. I'm not complaining at all, but it is definitely different, which, uh, means that things like podcasts have to go on the back burner from week to week. But uh, I appreciate your patience with me, Joe, and hopefully... Whatever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hopefully. I mean, the other thing is, I mean, you're traveling as well. So uh, Yeah, yeah. Put... I threw you under the bus, but, this, but uh, honestly, probably more than you, uh, I have had a number of things that have gotten in the way of getting back and, and being able to uh, get another episode of the podcast out, not the least of which is... I've been asked to take over as uh, itinerant um, or interim, whichever is the right word, interim worship leader at a local church um, where they haven't really had a, a worship ministry in the past, or at least <clears throat> not recently. And so I'm starting that from the ground up. And it has been, for those of you who are worship leaders out there, you understand, a huge time suck. It's been a lot of work. And it has uh, every ounce of free time that I've had to write reviews, read books, um, has gone to that. So there's definitely been a dearth of new material, both in terms of the podcast and the website. So I offer my humble apologies for that. Yeah, and, and the good thing is we are getting to a point now where we're kind of in a groove again and we're going to be getting more content on the site. Um, I mean, we're always open to help and suggestions. You know, if people are willing to uh, to lend a hand here and there if they want to listen to an album or, you know, want to sign on to, to read a book or things like that. We're always open to things like that. Um, but for now, it's it's everything in us just to keep it going ourselves. So uh, you just have to bear with us and uh, have some patience. Uh, the other interesting thing I've noticed, Joe, is how our audience has kind of shaped itself. Um, you know, we haven't been deliberately trying to push out one type of artistry or medium. Um, specifically, we've been in authors, we've been music people, we've been you know talking about engineers and recording artists and stuff. It seems that authors and poets have, have come out of the woodwork. And that's not a bad thing. I think that's pretty cool, but a little unexpected. Yeah, I, I don't think, I agree with you. We haven't really been deliberate about what the audience is. We are... Uh, we like speaking about art, um, regardless of the medium. So we really appreciate anybody and everybody who's taken the time to download the podcast or check out the website. Thank you. And we'd love to hear from you one way or the other. Uh, if you like what we're doing, if you would like to hear from one medium versus another, if there's a particular artist that you find intriguing uh, that uh, we should reach out to, I want to know about it. And we do have a number of artists or authors that are lined up that we are going to talk to, and um, we won't name them all now, uh, but um, definitely check out the site. Um, you know, we'll be reviewing things as always, but there's a lot of neat uh, things coming out and a lot of people that we're planning to talk to that are, are very interesting. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and not the least of which is uh, the subject of our interview for this episode, 
gentleman named Travis Thrasher. For those of you who don't know who Travis is, uh, you probably haven't been reading a lot of Christian fiction or um, maybe his genre, which is, I guess, what uh, he kind of defies genre. But as I've been reading some of his work, it's almost Christian horror, uh, which seems counterintuitive. But he he's writing all over the place in terms of genre. So let me uh, let me read you the uh, let me read you some about Travis. Uh, Travis Thrasher is the author of more than a, a dozen works of fiction, including the Solitary Tales series, Isolation, and Ghostwriter. Critically acclaimed and creatively diverse, Thrasher has made a career out of defying expectations. Writing stories that move, haunt, and provoke readers, Thrasher tells tales in a variety of genres. His one common theme is brokenness, and his one common tactic is surprise. His writing is known for its honesty, depth, and surprising twists. So that's Travis Thrasher, as I'm reading to you, as you may have been able to tell, directly off of the press kit that I received from our friend Lisa Beach at David C. Cook, who provided a copy of Home Run, a novelization that he recently wrote. And so thank you to Lisa, and um, thanks to Travis for spending the time to chat with us about writing and about his recent efforts with the book Home Run. Great. Thanks, Joe, for, uh, for giving us a bit of the bio. Um, we will talk more about our website and uh, how to contact us at the end. But for now, why don't we dive right into the interview between Joe Brookhouse and Travis Thrasher. I'm Joe Brookhouse, and today we're chatting with author extraordinaire and um, one-time Unabomber Travis Thrasher. <laughs> <laughs> How do you know one-time Unabomber? That's the question. Well, one time that we're aware of um, based on the yes, photo. that's true. And we'll make sure that that's what we that's use as the photo for the uh, podcast. Yes, right. <laughs> well, I know that uh, the the thing that's probably biggest right now for you, um, and it's releasing today, is the uh, the novelization. I'm sorry, the movie Home Run is coming out today, and you did a novelization of that. Yes. The first thing I'd like to understand is Home Run is a a movie – about let's say redemption um it's not uh, it's not your story you got brought in um to write the novelization so maybe give me some perspective on what that's like compared to what you're used to doing in terms of writing your own stuff sure well i, I one of the things i've said a lot is that uh writing a novel is sort of a series of making a million different decisions i mean everything from uh you know, where does it take place? What's the storyline? What are the people's names? I mean, it's just constant decisions and choices. And uh, the nice thing with a novelization is you're given a screenplay and the story, the characters, everything is done for you. It's just done for the movie. So, uh, you know, anybody who is familiar with a screenplay, you know, they, they don't elaborate on a lot of things. A, a lot of it is just simply you know what what people's what what they're talking about you know the the lines of the characters so my job was to basically flesh it out into a novel and in what i usually say is i say um enhancing it and making it just um broadening the storyline but i you know i've written enough books now where i i feel like it's not my job to come in and try to change the story just because i think it's going to make a better plot decision or for some sort of theme I'm trying to work with, or I, I don't want to try to get too artsy fartsy yeah. sort of thing. I mean, I've, I've done that with my own books. So saying that, you know, the producers uh, met with me, the, this, what happened was David C. Cook ended up um, bidding on the project and they got it. So then they had talked with me, said, you know, would you be interested? What's your schedule like? All that sort of stuff. And then um, I met with the producers and the producers had to okay it, you know, me as well. Um, they had read some of my work and liked it. So I met with them and they gave me a lot of creative license on what to do with this, the screenplay. When I met with them, I really heard what their passion and vision uh, was for the film. Um, and they had actually filmed it already. So they were in the process of editing it. But uh, I didn't see the movie until after I finished the writing the novel. Oh, so you didn't even have that. You didn't have a, even a visual reference to work from. Then. No, the only visual references were I knew who they had cast as the characters. So I, you know, I always use uh, 
pictures of actors or actresses or models or whoever um, as sort of inspiration when I'm writing. So that was, again, sort of a nice thing. I mean, um, Scott Elrod plays Corey Brand, and I had a bunch of pictures of him, you know, in my office where, uh, you know, I'd be, you know. I'm sure you're, that didn't make your wife uncomfortable. Yeah, no, no. But I, I do remember I <laughs> tweeted one time to the actor I and to Doreen Brown, who plays um, sort of his ex-girlfriend love interest. And I tweeted yeah. to both of them saying, yeah, I've got your pictures on my bulletin board in my office. And the produce and I didn't sort of say anything else. And the producer was quick to say, he's the guy writing the novel, just in case you're freaked out or creeped out by now. <laughs> so, uh, um, but, you know, Carol Matthews and the rest of the home run team, they were great in just um, welcoming me and then um, letting me do, you know, what I, what I'm supposed to do. And I tried a couple different things. I mean, initially I tried writing the whole book from Corey Brand's perspective, just first person. And it didn't work. It just, uh, because there's too, there, there are too many scenes that he's not a part of, but you know, he is still the main character and that's why I really focused on him and his backstory. And, um, so, you know, it's, it's an interesting process because you still, in my mind, the screenplay is everything. And I'm even, um, again, lines and, and everything I'm, I'm staying true to what the screenwriters did. And, um, you know, that's my goal. I'm like, look, I just need to stay true to that. And, um, and then just enhance and build on that. Uh, you use a convention in the book where you uh, use flashbacks in uh, alternating chapters to um, to go back to maybe flesh out uh, Corey's past and help us better understand the person he was previously, uh, how he became the man that he is as we're experiencing him in the book. Sure. So is that part of the movie or is that a convention that you brought in? Yeah, those – and, you know, I would actually say um... – I would make a case that they aren't flashbacks. They are, but um, flashbacks are, are um, they're one of those things that oftentimes books on writing say don't do because they take you out of the action. And I thought about doing that. What I call those little things, I, I always call them interludes because they're between the chapters. And a lot of times they're real short. Um, yeah. They're, I think if I recall, they're they're done in present tense and I also tried to do them. They're a little more poetic. Um, all of those were my own creation. And um, I, I started doing those. I've done those before in books where I've um, utilized something between chapters, whether it's a letter or an email or something like that. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool to try to do that for, from Corey's perspective, but have it not be so conventional like, you know, the uh, you're going back in the past, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I, you know, I, I tried a few of those and I said, well, I love this, but the producers and the publisher might say, what are you doing? Like, get rid of those. But they actually loved it. They actually said um, they they really felt good about it. And so um, that was those were all my creation. Um, and when I say my creation, I just say, you know, they they weren't a part of the script. And, and they're brief enough where hopefully they don't take people too much out of the um, action. I've seen mostly positive reviews i've seen a couple where people are like i didn't really like the flashbacks and they call them flashbacks too and i'm like wait a minute yeah. come on no but um it's it's uh but and then there are there are a few scenes which i actually added um that weren't a part of the the movie but i mean i i might say it was like four or five so pretty much what you read in the book is still what you're going to see in the movie so you had a certain uh, amount of license uh, in in the narrative. Yeah, and the producer, the producer, she, I mean, I said she uh, gave me creative license. I mean, um, at one point, Carol said, I mean, this is early on. She goes, you know, Travis, here's an idea. What if you wrote the book from Corey Brand's mother's perspective? Well, now Corey Brand's mother is dead. So I yeah. go, wow. And I mean, I start thinking about that. And of course, I love doing crazy different things. I've written a book in second person, but I go, you know, okay, I don't think this is going to be, this shouldn't be like a lovely bones. I mean, this is, you know, yeah. um, I think the publisher would freak out and, but she was totally serious. I think she was just, you know, coming up with ideas. 
And, um, you know, and some of the things, I mean, there are like your review and you said, um, you know, there's some missed opportunities. I, in terms of like, you know, maybe fleshing out other characters or something like that. I think one of the problems of a novelization is that you still, it's almost like you're afraid to totally go down a path where it's just completely yours. Like for instance, if I had fleshed out um, uh, the character, maybe the sister-in-law or the brother or something like that, it's like completely inventing things all on my own. And there's always that fear this is the second novelization I've done. There's always that fear that, you know, it's still not my story. I mean, it's, it's like I'm building on somebody else's story. So, um, so I still as much, even though I got a lot of creative license, there's still some trepidation and there's still some sort of like, all right, I still need to be careful about what I'm doing. And, and because initially, again, I had said, this is Corey Brand's story. I felt like, let me run with him. And um, looking back, uh, I'm like, man, I could have done this or I should have done this. I mean, every writer does that. Um, yeah. I'm happy with, with again, what was, what was done and from Corey Brand's perspective. But, um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different avenues you can go down, you know, even stuff like the, um, the, the, the kid in it, um, the sort of the, one of the villains, he, uh, the, the cop, I mean, you know, certain yeah. things and it's just a matter of, okay, I have to pick and choose what I add, that sort of thing. So it's an, a real interesting process. I, I, you know, it really is a true collaboration. When I started the book, it took me, let's say two weeks to get the first 50 pages done just for one reason or another. Yeah. And then the, the, the other 350 I finished in the day. Okay, wow. It's not a thin book. I mean, yeah. it's, and a lot of times when you get a movie adaption, you know, you're 180 pages and you go, oh, well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's definitely, you know, it's not a scant novel. That So that was one of the things as I'm going through as a reader and knowing that, you know, I haven't seen the movie yet okay. and wondering. So I wonder if this was a choice for Travis at this point to not go down that road, or was this a constraint that he was given uh, as part of the movie or the direction of the movie? So, sure. yeah. And you know, it's funny. I, uh, the, one of the best lines of the, the movie in the screenplay, it's different. I, I won't, I won't even say it because I don't want to ruin it, but it's, um, I remember seeing the, I mean, I've seen the film over a dozen times. I love it. And it's, uh, but the, the one quintessential line in the movie that's shown over and over kind of on trailers and stuff, I, re I realized, I, I remember looking at the book and it was different and the actual printed book. And I was like, did I, did I do that? I was like, how could I have changed like the best line in the film? And then I was like, no, I didn't do that. I was like, and so I looked at the screenplay and it was the same way that I had written it in the book. And it's not like it takes away from, it says the same thing. It just somewhere along the way they tweaked it. So it was just a little better. And, um, you know, again, nobody had a problem with it because in, in a lot of readers probably won't know. I mean, there might be a few that are like, no, wait a minute. But I mean, it's literally a choice of two different words and, you know, um, but it's, it's, again, it's, it's an interesting sort of thing. And, um, there are a couple of different storylines where, you have to fill in the blanks in the film and in the book, you really can't fill in the, I mean, you have to flesh it out a little more. And, and there are a couple trouble parts. It was like, all right, how, how does, you know, how do you get from B to C or C to D that sort of thing. And, um, and that was where it was, it was great because I could e I mean, I was emailing back and forth the producer and she's very busy and yet she was responsive. I mean, this is her baby. This film is her baby. So the book yeah. is her baby. And she was awesome. She'd be like, you know, boom, right away. She's like, what do you think about this? Or no, you know, she, I mean, it was, it was really nice to work with, with her and her team because um, they gave me input right away. And initially I only had a couple months to do it because it, the book and the movie were supposed to come out in the fall. So they decided let's, let's change the date of the film. There's still more work and marketing that they needed to do. And I remember Carol, uh, like the night before she had actually told me she was, she had made, made the decision to change the release date to spring. And she felt bad because 
for one of the reasons she felt bad about having me um, write the book so quickly. And I told her, I said, you know, it turned out, I, I think it turned out um, to be the way it needed to be because Corey Brand is figuring out Celebrate Recovery. And I had never heard about Celebrate Recovery until this project came along. So I'm learning it the same way sort of Corey Brand is learning it. And, you know, if I, if I wrote the book now, having gone, you know, been able to uh, learn about Celebrate Recovery, um, having gone to Celebrate Recovery, having gotten to know so many people, I might have actually done um, a lot of things. Uh, probably I would have added a lot more about Celebrate Recovery in the book. And the, the, the problem with that might have been that it becomes too much of a Celebrate Recovery book. I mean, it's in, yeah. um, and in this case, you know, that is a, a pivotal part of it. It's an important part, but it's still not the entire book. You know, it's still, in my mind, when I was writing it, the interesting thing was, why did, why did Corey Brand become the guy he is? You know, what, what led to that? And it's not one thing it's not because he's in a he has an abusive father it's not because he just decided one day to take a drink and um he's an alcoholic i mean it's like a combination of you know a hundred different things and so some of the things i tried to do is um show some of those pivotal moments of why he is the person he is uh today so um and i think that's why the interludes were probably one a, a very effective device because it took you from beyond just who's this present guy who could very easily be somebody you just don't like yeah. and you can't understand why anybody would ever uh, be interested in him as a protagonist uh, and gives him, um, you know, you, you see that transition in his life, the choice he, he makes, you know, that, that conversation with his father that is alluded to later in the book to help you understand what pushed him away. Mm -hmm. As those are introduced... You, you actually can connect with the character more because, you know, I played a little bit of baseball, but I don't look like uh, Mr. Yeah. Elrod. Um, <laughs> most of us don't. I spent time in a small town, but I'm just, I just don't relate to him directly. Yeah. yeah he's not, he's not very likable. And I've, um, it, at the start and you, you know, he's the movie. I mean, everything hinges on him. You take the journey with him. Anybody who's read enough of my books. I mean, I love people like, um, Corey Brand, because it's like, I love unlikable um, protagonists. And I don't know why. Um, I just, because, I, I mean, I love journeys toward redemption. So at the end, hopefully you like them. But the problem with sometimes doing that is some people might not stick through to the end. Some people might just be like, this guy's a jerk and I don't want to spend 400 pages with him or two hours in, yeah. a, in a theater. The, the film is very different, obviously, because it's got all these characters in it. So Corey Brand is just one part of it. Um, I think in the book you get into his mind more. and um, But it's nice to hear that. I mean, with fleshing it out, once he, once he kind of hits rock bottom and you see that he's a broken man and he's messed up just like the rest of us, um, I think that is, that's kind of a cool thing because it's like, initially you're like oh yeah what a jerk you know and, and right. hopefully people come around and say and care for him and say you know wow you know you were mentioning some of your other work so if you don't mind i want to uh not not to uh depart too much from home run but uh i'm actually reading solitary right okay, now yeah I'm not, I'm not too far into it but um one of the reasons i was excited about actually going ahead and reading the book was looking at some of uh your previous work you know, kind of creepy, edgy stuff. At least that's the way it was described. Yeah. To work in kind of that genre must be a bit of a challenge when you are, let's say, writing for Christians. Yeah, yeah it, it really is. Uh, it's a challenge. It's In my mind, it's not a challenge writing it. It's a challenge marketing and selling it because, um, you know, so much of Christian fiction or inspirational fiction it's it's put in that category so people know it's like safe you know you don't have language issues right. um you don't have sexual things uh it's safe so um in the whole genre of horror there's that's the complete opposite i mean you if you think on one side you have uh maybe amish stories and then on the other side you have like horror stories so i i think it it's it's just like christian music 
quote unquote Christian music, um, how much it's changing and evolving. And um, there's so many talented people doing it. Um, I, I think Christian fiction is evolving as well. And, um, and, you know, the people who did Home Run, publishers of, of Home Run, David C. Cook, they're the ones who did the solitary tales. And yeah. they're huge fans of mine and they're huge fans of the series. And they really allowed me to do some things that I, I just, I, I'm, it's almost like I, I still wonder how I got away with it. Because if, hopefully you can read all four books. If you, by, by about book, by the end of book two, honestly, you might be wondering, did David C. Cook publish these? And I, and I don't want to give anything away, but I just, um, it was, it was gutsy for them to do that. And um, as a Christian publisher, because most of the time you want the light at the end of the book. You want to see hope. You want to see, you know, God winning. You want to see all those things. Yeah. And I don't do that at the end of book one. And I really don't do that at the end of book two. And there are some people, um, some Christian readers that were like, well, what are these books? You know, I mean, there's some people that read them and they, they suddenly see God mentioned and all that. And then they're like, oh, here we go again. Then there are other people that were like, well, these are supposed to be Christian fiction, but they're certainly not because the darkness is winning and there's no hope. And I'll, yeah. and I'm like, all I could say is I'm like, well, just wait till you get to the end. But um, I, I love those, those books. And um, I, I think they're in the same way, like Corey Brand's journey toward finding hope and redemption in a lot of ways. I mean, this is Chris Buckley's journey, a totally different character. Um, but and in the same way, he he has to sort of hit his own rock bottom. You know, he's a teen, but it's the same sort of thing because he doesn't believe in any anything except himself. And um, so what's going to get him to finally reaching that point where he's like, man, I need more than myself. So, you know, even though they're so different, the, you know, baseball inspirational film turned into a novel or a um, teen series. What I called, what I uh, told the publisher I, when I pitched it to them, I said, I want to write my version of, um, it's it's sort of pretty in pink meets the exorcist. That's what I called it. And I mean, <laughs> it was kind of funny, but it's it's probably a little more like pretty in pink than the exorcist. Um, but I wanted to combine sort of those two things, sort of a sweet teen uh, novel with that dark, you know, stuff. And so... Yeah, the, the comments I've gotten from that, from readers of that, some of them, I mean, people have said, this is like the best book I ever read. And I'm always like, do you read that many books? And, I, you know, I'm not trying to be falsely <laughs> modest, but I'm also, you know, I'm yeah. like, that's a high compliment. So, yeah, you'll have to let me know what you think, especially when you finish Solitary. Well, I was reading reviews and some some guy put a spoiler yeah. in there. So I already know how it ends. And that makes me mad. Yeah. Part of the reason I'm intrigued by it is because of the um, dissenting reviews. Yeah. Um, I, I love the fact that it's not um, pandering, Yeah. Uh, if I can use that word. So, But it sounds like as you were writing, like the Solitary series and some of the other stuff that you've done, uh, that your focus is really, I want to write this story. Uh, I don't know who the audience is, but this is the story that has to be written. Is that, is that pretty accurate? Yeah, yeah. I mean... Uh... Early on, I, I worked at a publishing house 13 and a half years. I worked in author relations, and all along, I always wanted to be a published author. And it took me eight novels before my first got published, and my first was just a sweet little love story. But even even before I got first published, my thought was always, I want to have my one of my favorite authors growing up, and anybody who's, who knows me knows this, it, it was Stephen King. I've you know, all these shelves of uh, uh, books by him. So my thought was always like, I want to do that. Not because I want to make, you know, be a multimillionaire like he is. I just wanted to be able to write these stories in my head. And I didn't want to become a brand. I didn't want to become Nicholas Sparks. I didn't want to become Ted Decker. I wanted to tell the stories I wanted to tell. And, um, you know, but the problem is you can't really say that to a publisher because that's sort of, you know, that's scary. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost dismissing what they want to do because they, they want to uh, sell your books. So there's a reason Nicholas Sparks is a brand. There's a reason Ted Decker is a brand. Um, 
so I've navigated those waters where I'm like, all right, look, I'll, I'll do anything possible to sell books and I'll, I'll try to fit into this box. The problem is I, I fit into about 10 boxes. So I have all these boxes and you know, that's, yeah. it's, it's interesting how my career is working out because like a novel, a novelization, um, it's great because it's taking somebody else's story and then sort of trying to make it my own. And, uh, so far with these collaborations I've done every single one, I still can say, you know, I put my heart and soul in it. Like I put my heart and soul in home run as much as I could. It wasn't like, I'm just like, Oh, this is just a work for hire. And here you go. And, you know, um, I mean, I, I really, really worked just as hard on that as I have anything else. It was just a different thing. So it's, it's a strange thing to be able to, um, you know, jump around genres and, and uh, you know, I'm not, I haven't ever had a breakthrough novel. Um, A book like Home Run might actually be one of my best-selling books to date just because of the film and, you know, um, but that has nothing to do with me. And um, as long as I can continue to write, I don't want to be a brand name. I mean, I don't want to suddenly have people say, okay, um, this thing sold a million, so you have to do the same thing again, you know, and, and right. And that's what publishers will do, and it's no fault to them. I mean, if they have something that – I was at Tyndale House when we published the Left Behind series, and that thing sold 60, 70 million. I mean, it's, yeah. it's insane. And, uh, and I was always like, that's great. But, um, but I also said I never want to do that. And yet and now I've been collaborating sort of like Jerry Jenkins and Tim LaHaye, and, and actually the collaborations I've been doing have been um, – really really fun and worthwhile so you just mentioned those collaborations and i i noticed on your uh your twitter profile that you've got a collaboration that's coming out here in a couple of months um and i'll say the name of it but and just understand that this is not an offer yes <laughs> are you going to kiss me or not yes so that is so that's a that was a, a pretty big country song yeah yeah it was a a, a real popular country song by a band called Thompson Square. Um, they're a husband and wife duo, and that was off their first album. And, uh, you know, the cool thing about them is that these were, this is a couple that just kept trying to break into the music business for years. And they finally did, and it's like they're, um, they, now they've won CMAs and um, all these awards. You know, they're, they just released a second album, and things are really, really happening for them, which is great. And uh, it was one of those things where I had done a couple of collaborations like that before taking a song or taking a song and making a novel out of it. I did that with uh, Mark Schultz's Letters from War and Jimmy Wayne's Paper Angels. And both of those projects, each of those artists, um, they're very different. Like one, one was like, you just do your work and then I'll let you know what I think at the end. And, you know, and the, the other was, um, you know, it was like every chapter get input and we talk back and forth and all that sort of stuff. So, um, again, it, it's like the, are you going to kiss me or not? I wrote out sort of, this is, this is what I would do based on the song. And the song's pretty simple. I mean, the song, if you know it, it's like they meet, they kiss on a rooftop and then he's proposing and then they're married. And so the, the great thing from my mind, I was like, I could do anything. I mean, it's like, what can you make up? What can you do? And so I wrote this um, treatment, basically a storyline, you know, and I send it to the publisher and to the band and all that. And they, they all liked it. And probably some people reading it might be like, wow, this is way too complicated. I mean, cause I have it, I have it going back and forth. It's like they meet in high school, but then now they're 35 years old. But um, I, I could have just done, I mean, to me, I've done the, I mentioned this before I've done the Nicholas Sparks, sweet love story. And I like, like those, but I don't want to do the same sort of thing. I don't, my first book was the promise remains. I don't want to do the promise remains part two. So in this case, it's still a sweet love story, but I felt like I could, um, let me just try to do some different things, but all walking in the shoes of really Thompson square. And they said, look, we don't want this to be about us. This is not our story. So I was like, okay, great. And, um, and again, they said, this is, this is your baby. They gave me creative license. 
but I put a lot of little things in there that fans of Thompson Square or that the band themselves would hopefully appreciate. Like uh, the main character is a fan of Bruce Springsteen, just like Kiefer from Thompson Square is. And, you know, w whether or not that's that big of a deal, I just felt like, okay, this is sort of a wink and a nod to them. And um, so, it, again, it'll be interesting to see the response of that. Um, it was a fun little story to tell. And, uh, you know, hopefully it honors the spirit of that song. Kind of like, I mean, again, coming alongside and saying, all right, this is your baby. Like the song's a baby or in, in the case of Home Run, that's their baby. It's like I'm babysitting and I have to do what I, what I do. And, um, you've got some experience with that. Too, I, I, I do. I imagine. <laughs> I'm learning. I'm learning with uh, three daughters. Yeah. Wow. So how, how old are the kids? This is something I should have covered way at the beginning. Oh, okay. but I'm still yeah, curious. no, um, we have three daughters. Uh, we have a six year old daughter and then we have twin two and a half year old daughters. Oh man. So, and, but, but thankfully our dog, we have a really masculine dog. It's a, it's a Shih Tzu. I'm kidding. It's it's uh, it, it, so we have a female Shih Tzu, and she looks like an Ewok. So um, oh, our whole house is pink. I mean, it's like, um, but but I love the girls. We're, they're they're healthy and um, they're rambunctious. And you know, right now I'm uh, in, in my office. I have an office about five minutes away from home because there'd be no way I could get anything done otherwise. Right. You know. So are you are you able to then do writing exclusively, or do you have to have a day job as well? No, no, this is exclusive. Um, I, I I already am losing my mind doing it just uh, full time. You know, when I when I worked at uh, the publisher, I knew sort of okay, this is maybe what I can expect, and um, and I signed a contract which gave me um, a little. It was sort of like all right. Um, this, if I'm ever going to leave, this is, this is a time to do it. And I've been doing it now five and a half years and it's, it has been really tough. I mean, um, yeah. you know, with having three kids, my wife's a stay at home mom, you know, not having a breakout book. So, you know, I might sign a contract for something, especially something of my own, but because I don't have these, you know, incredible sales figures to back up, you know, how much is going to yeah. sell. You know, the, the publisher can only give me a certain amount, but that's what's so great about these collaborations is they um, get my name out there a little more. Even if people are a little confused, I, I still think the way things are moving in this world, it's like, you know, the days of going into a Borders and looking at the section of, you know, Christian fiction, those are gone A because Borders is not even here. But um, yeah. I just think in, in, in a writer can do a variety of different types of books. And, um, and then all you need to do is go on Amazon or go on their website and see all those books. I, don't, I love bookstores, but just the way things are going and e-books and all that stuff. Um, but the, the cool thing is it's like I, I've got my teen stuff and then I've got my, um, you know, song like books made out of songs and then i've got sort of some like novelizations and thankfully i'm able to sort of do a variety of those things so you've diversified yeah yeah but i mean it's it's uh it's to the point where um you know a lot of times as a full-time writer you have to work on stuff that might be published and might not be so it's sort of like you sometimes have to build a house or or laid out and then see, hey, is somebody interested? And and then sometimes you have doors open like these songwriting things, you know, these. Uh, and I'm like, wow, that's, you know, I mean, I've never been a huge country music fan. And, uh, you know, now I am a huge country music fan. I mean, uh, you know, I joke, but uh, I keep saying I'm like, hey, you know, who's who's going to be next? And um, and that's that's great. I'm, I mean, it's a great opportunity. Hopefully I can do my job in the book. Hopefully I'm easy to work with. Um, all those things, then people are like, oh yeah, let's go to that guy. And um, yeah. plus he has a good name, Travis Thrasher. Come on. I mean, it, yeah. <laughs> I, I almost, I almost had a question on here that was like, it was going to be my first question. Is Thrasher yeah, really your yeah, name? I get that. I hear that all the time. I said, it is. My parents gave it to me. I'm proud. <laughs> How do people connect with you or stay in touch with what you're working on? 
the best way is just go to my website and that'll give you links to Facebook and Twitter. Um, I've got a blog and, and you can connect there. And each one I try to do, like my Facebook page, I try to give people just information on what's happening. Twitter is sort of where I have fun. I love Twitter uh, when I can. And sometimes I'll just go on a roll and you know tweet a lot. But uh, I tend to tweet a lot about the writing journey and also being a father of three girls and how insane I'm going. Uh, yeah, I, I'm easy to connect with online, just like in our in our wonderful social network world. So, so people um, should connect with you on Twitter probably would be the first choice. And then uh, in yeah. terms of um, what they should do after they listen to this interview, so they need to go pick up the book, Home Run. They need to pick up the entire yep. Solitary series. Um, yes. Exactly. Every other book that you've written. Um, and then keep in mind that uh, we are you kiss me are you going to kiss me or not? That's coming out June fourth. I think is the date that I saw for that. If I can add this to anybody who is um, in you know who has followed Home Run or um, in the Celebrate Recovery world, if they're listening to that, there's a memoir that I I did that's coming out June, and we haven't really talked about it much because we don't want to take away from what Home Run is doing. But it's um, about two leaders in Celebrate Recovery. And uh, it is, all, all I got to say is if that, if that book sold a million copies, I wouldn't be surprised. And it has nothing to do with my writing. It's all about the couple. So, um, again, I will announce a lot more on Facebook and Twitter when it comes, you know, coming in June. But it's, it's a really nice sort of thing that matches what the message and the ministry behind Home Run. And, uh, again, it's something I'm really proud to be a part of. Oh, we'll make sure people are watching out for that and keep on up with your Twitter feed. I'm sure that will help them understand when that's coming around. Cool. That was my interview with Travis. Dan, what kind of stood out for you as you listened to the interview? I just found it intriguing actually listening to an author. I'm so used to and conditioned to listening to music podcasts or talking about recording artists. It was actually refreshing to because I haven't been an avid reader up until recently. Now being in ministry, I have to read a lot of books, but I'm reading a lot of books that are about building up faith and about preaching and about teaching and the gospel. So it was actually interesting to listen to a guy who's passionate about writing about things that I've actually never read. I, I find, I'm quite cynical about Christian fiction and so my, if you read my review, you'll see right up the front, because I did review the book that, uh, that, that we discuss a lot, Home Run. And I didn't even really necessarily want to pick up the book. I was anxious about reading Christian fiction. I liked the book. And then uh, I liked Travis and engaging with Travis enough that I've picked up Solitary, the first book in that series. And... You know, one of the things that he talks about is just, you know, here's what it's like to be an author and to pay your bills as an author. And that's tough. Uh, and he's a guy who's made it. And uh, there's just a lot of interesting things that he talks logistically about what it's like to be an author that I think a lot of us take for granted. Well, and we're so used to talking to artists who are trying to make it in the music business. I mean, there's... Um you know, Kickstarter campaigns or Indiegogo or all these different tools that are out there now. Um, what tools are out there for authors? I mean, it, it, it almost seems foreign. People just expect that it's kind of like a, like a, another sub subculture. It just kind of happens, but uh, it, I can't imagine how tough it is to try to even sell an idea to a publisher. Well, you know, that's a, it's a good, it's a good point you're making there. There's a whole bunch. And I, I have to admit that my, that I'm, my level of ignorance related to writing is quite high, uh, and I've made some assumptions. But um, one thing that Travis did, uh, uh, one one thing that Travis said is he'd be very interested in coming back on the podcast and talking about his 13 years of experience working uh, for a publishing house and knowing what the ins and outs of the industry are. And so we're actually uh, looking at bringing him back on maybe this summer. Once his uh, his current workload dies down a bit, to talk about what it's like to be a professional writer and what the publishing industry looks like. Oh, that'll be great. 
I almost wonder if we should put out um, a call for questions ahead of time so we can ask appropriate questions to what people want to hear too. Well, this would be a great time. So folks, in a few months when we get a chance to catch up with Travis again, what kind of things would you like to talk to him about related to being a professional writer and related to being in the you know, publishing industry? Honestly, Joe, I, I have noticed recently that books, like actual physical books, are becoming popular. Um, even things as, you know, nostalgic as typewriters. I mean, there's there's actual restaurants or coffee shops that deliberately market that they have typewriters for people to do that with. It's almost like we're going back to the roots of like literally having to open a book and, and open the pages. And that's great. But I just don't know if consumers want to spend the money. Like, I, I don't know if eBooks are taking off. They're cheaper. But do you, you know, what do you feel about eBooks versus physical books? Personally, I like the physical book. To be quite honest, I'm almost embarrassed to say it, that I'm definitely an ebook person. A, a lot of it is the sh is sheer convenience. I like the feel of a book in my hands, but when I'm laying in bed, it's I can hold, you know, uh, my I have a little tablet, seven inch tablet. I can hold that in one hand and read. Uh, and if I finish a book, I've got 150 other books that are queued up and ready to dive right in. And when I travel. I've got all those books with me. I don't have to worry about packing a, you know, a big book. Yeah, I'd say, well, that's a perfect example of where your lifestyle dictates that. Um, yeah, whereas for me, I'm, I'm tending to buy books that I want to build a library from. So, you know, being in ministry, I'm going to buy certain books that are even commentaries, for example, that it will be with me forever. But also, yeah, you're right. I mean, if you're on, on airplanes all the time, books become pretty cumbersome. So I can definitely understand that. Um, but also for me, I find that I'm on devices so much that it becomes a hindrance in my own life where I'm, I'm always looked upon like I've got my iPhone or my iPad in my hand. So I'm looking for opportunities to put the devices away. More so, I guess, as an example to my kids that I don't always need to have my device in my hands because I find that social media and everything pops up on top of what I'm doing and gets distracting. Whereas if I have a physical book, I, I can put the phone aside. So I guess it's just a personal thing. Well, no, no, I agree with you. In fact, uh, one of the things you pointed out, I think is for me is important. Um, there's a natural progression for me that if I really have found a book to be extraordinary as I've read it as an ebook, I will actually go and buy the physical book because I want that to be, you know, having a physical library is still important to me in much the same way that if I like uh, an album, and I say album, uh, but if I like, I want to have a physical CD, even if I have the electronic copy, there's something about having that physical copy that represents ownership in a way that having it on a device doesn't, it, or it doesn't register. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. It's almost like back in the day when we had the record albums and the whole point of having the large sleeve record albums because of the, the full size pages and photos and all the background stuff you never saw from a band, for example, was on oh, yeah. the album. So, I mean, it was so important to get the record album. Um, and I think that's why those, the vinyls are coming back. I mean, number one, because obviously because you know everything thinks it's cool right now it's the hipster thing to do um yes you know and it actually costs more to do things that you know and and you know i won't go down that road because i'm not a big record guy but i understand the logic behind it yeah for me i think to value your time to spend time to focus on it to have it in your hand you can fold the page you know um yeah it's just a personal thing i guess but uh the whole thing about me and technology is because I'm surrounded by it so much, I guess I need to personally put that aside once in a while. So reading a book is escaping that, not just going into the book. It's actually removing distractions. You know, we should maybe uh, throw that out to folks as a Twitter poll or a Twitter question. You know, what's their preference, ebook versus physical book and why? I'd really be interested to hear what people have to say about that. Yeah, no, it's a great idea.
And actually, that's a good segue to talk about our social media. Oh, or lack thereof. (laughs) Yeah. As we we wrap up the podcast, uh, we're always available online at social media. You may not see a ton of stuff posted out from us. We do try to retweet and share um, things that we think are relevant and important, whether it be ministry-related, worship, music, uh, authors, poets. There's, I find a lot of cool things happening in the poetry world right now. Um, you know, rap, all these different genres are kind of merging into each other. I've noticed rap and poetry is kind of emerging as the new thing as part of conferences and um, concerts even. And I think that's great. So as we find new material or, or new artists, we're going to try to bring them into the podcast um, there's a lot of neat things happening with that. And some of our recent uh, written interviews uh, go into depth talking about poetry and live performance and, and, and the like. Um, but if you want to connect with us on Twitter, we are at Frequency FM. Uh, Facebook is the same name, just with Facebook.com first. And uh, you'll probably connect with me more on Facebook and Joe more on Twitter. That's just how we roll. And uh, you can always you can always connect with us personally as well. And uh, our website is just frequency.fm. And we'd love to hear from you. And we hope that you come to visit often. Yes, indeed. And uh, you can also download the podcast or subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. We'd uh, love to have you as a subscriber. And uh, we'd love to have any comments that you have. They don't even have to be five star comments. We'll we'll we'll, we'll take a three star comment because at the end of the day. <laughs> At the end of the day, we really want the best uh, material for you guys, the, the best information that means something to you. And if we can do better, man, there's always room to be better. You know, if you would rather send that to us via email, you can reach me at joe at frequency.fm or you can reach Dan at dan at frequency.fm. So shoot us an email. Tell us how lousy we are and how much better we can get. And then once we get there, then put the five star review on iTunes. Deal? There we go. We have to work for it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it's it's good to be back doing the podcast uh, again, Joe, and uh, thanks so much. And uh, we hope that we can continue to serve you well. And thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.